This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is On the Media. I'm Michael Lowinger. And I'm Brooke Gladstone. In 2018, Uganda became the first country in the world to tax social media. More than two and a half million Ugandans have reportedly abandoned social media to protest the government-imposed tax on 60 online services, including Twitter and WhatsApp. We are opposed to the social media tax because it is a personal attack on the young people of Uganda. Social media is the last platform for us to express ourselves as the young people of Uganda after being oppressed for so long, 32 years. That last voice was Bobby Wine, the pop star turned politician who used social media to criticize Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni in power for 38 years who changed the Constitution to enable him to run for multiple terms, and then changed it again to overturn the age limit for the office so he could rule for life. The Oscar-nominated new documentary Bobby Wine, The People's President, follows Wine on his political and personal journey, from his election to Parliament in 2017 through his presidential run in 2021, as he used his music to reach Uganda's population of disenfranchised youth, to explain what their rights were under the nation's battered constitution in a country where political critiques can literally kill you. And uh, heads up, there's a brief description of torture about nine minutes from now. One day everything is gonna be fine. (laughs) Everything's gonna be fine. One day everything will be all right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's go, Moses. That's Bobby Wine and Moses Boyo, one of the doc's two directors, testing the levels on their mics. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for having us. So, Bobby, you grew up in the slums of Kampala. In the film, you refer to yourself as a ghetto child. What is a ghetto child? In Uganda, a ghetto child looks at themselves as only worthy to live to the next day. Our dreams are as limited as wanting to make sure that mama gets three meals a day, that there's a guarantee of a shelter over our heads. Those are the dreams. And in most cases, they're not achieved. You told Barbie, your wife, who's a crucial part of your story, about having grown up in the slum without a mother or a father. When I met Barbie, she impacted my life. And she challenged me to believe that I can impact other lives. That's when I started thinking big. That's when I started thinking changing lives. And ultimately, started thinking of challenging for the highest office in the land. Tell me, Moses, growing up in Uganda, 
when did you become aware of Bobby's music? And give us a sense of how young people were experiencing his music. So in Uganda, Bobby is that figure who has pulled himself up by the bootstraps. You know, he had built a great life as an artist. His music resonates with the whole population. He has always responded to misrule with a song. And consistently, you know, we've, we've listened to him and he's inspired the generation and, and Uganda at large. So when he decided to become a politician, we trusted him. Every five years in Uganda, when there's an election, the dictatorship, the Museveni dictatorship, pays artists a big sum of money and they bring together like 10 main big artists in the country. And as long as I can remember, he never joined that group. From the beginning, before Barbie, was your music like that from the start? No. I started out as... Any other young and excited artists sing about the girls and the rides and the money and the bling bling. Mm -hmm. And that went on for quite some years until this one day at the height of my success when I was beaten by a security agent. And the only reason was that I was showing off in a brand new Cadillac Escalade with 24-inch spinning wheels. That offended the security officer who actually slapped me and asked me why I was showing off. For me, that was a wake-up call. It reminded me of how so many other citizens have been violated and humiliated, many of them in my sight, and uh, I didn't do anything or say anything about it because it had not happened to me. I was a superstar who thought nothing like that would happen to me. Well, it was happening to me now, Mm. and that is 2005 or thereabout. Since then, I even changed my music from entertainment to edutainment. (laughs) (laughs) I know, edutainment. Oh, yeah. Tell me about the lyrics of some of your songs. You sing about the importance of education. Oh, yeah. That's when I started addressing those injustices. I started singing about the corruption, the discrimination, the dictatorships, and all that. So it went on like that until... Eventually, which is after about 10 years of revolutionary music, what I thought was life-changing music, and also using my music to call out the government on its ills, but it was not changing. So in 2017, I said, okay, now since the parliament has refused to come to the ghetto, the ghetto will come to the parliament. (laughs) Yeah. Your song Freedom became Mm -hmm. a real anthem. This is a message to the government, expressing what's exactly on the people's mind. What is the purpose of liberation? Oh yeah, we are living in a time similar to the one of slave trade. This oppression is worse than apartheid. The gun is the master and the citizen slave. The pearl of Africa's bleeding. Question. What was the purpose of the liberation when we can't have a peaceful transition? What is the purpose of the constitution when the government disrespect the constitution? Where is my freedom of expression when you judge me because of my expression? Look what you're doing. Our nation, what are you teaching the future generation? See, our leaders become misleaders and see, our mentors become tormentors. Freedom fighters become dictators. You see that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You've mentioned one of your songs, 
Uganda, I think, says this mm-hmm. very clearly. Mm-hmm. Three-fourths of the population is under 35, mm-hmm. but the political leaders are notably old, including President Museveni. In the film, you say... Museveni used to be my favorite revolutionary, and it's very, very disturbing that I'm at war with my once favorite. Tell me what the president represents today. He used to represent revolutionary ideas, transformational ideas. Today he represents a breed of African tyrants that are so out of touch with reality, that are corrupt and are trading Africa to either the West or China or whoever is ready to agree with this continued state in power at the cost of human rights and democracy and the rule of law. Your view about him evolved. Did it change at that moment when you got smacked, or did it happen before then? I was slapped to sobriety, <laughs> and, and I woke up to the realities of what my fellow citizens were going through. That's when I started seeing that there are more churches in the ghetto than schools. That's when I started realizing that indeed it was deliberate to ban political education, to ban sensitizing and empowering and awakening programs on radio. And indeed, eventually, my own music was banned and my name was also banned on radio. So, Bobby, in 2017, you ran for a seat in the parliament. You won handily. You fought against Museveni's effort to amend the Constitution, but the bill to remove the age limit passed, and that was so evident in the film, a huge disappointment, even though you kind of saw it coming? Yeah, we saw it coming, but we did not just want to sit back and watch it happen. When he removed the age limit to stand for the election, I decided to challenge him, and We were massively supported. I was supported by the young people, the old people, all Ugandans from all walks of life. We see you traveling, standing on the back of trucks saying, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. keep your hands off the Constitution. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had to first resist that abrogation of the Constitution. If we succeeded, we probably would have a different Uganda now. Soon after the vote, you were arrested by the military? What happened in your detention? The government considered to having me tortured very, very bad. And I, having tweeted that I was in detention, there was international outcry. I was eventually charged with illegal possession of firearms, charged with treason, and I was charged with annoying the president. So today I am out on bail. I'm having a treason charge hanging around my neck, and that attracts the death sentence. My possession of illegal firearms charge was dropped out of extreme shame. There's Barbie's description in the film of the torture. He has a swollen head. He has red eyes, and they're swollen. His ears are swollen. The whole face is swollen. It was a kind of relentless beating? Ah... Everything nasty happened to me, from beating to having testicles squeezed, 
to having ears pulled with pliers, to having needles injected in my nails. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. That's fine. I just wonder, your determination didn't flag, but it seemed like you were in some ways a different person, like it was something impossible to entirely recover from. Yeah, Nelson Mandela said it always seems impossible until it's done. Do you feel you've recovered? I don't know. Some things, honestly, we'll never recover from them. The only way I can recover is knowing that it can never happen to me again. But now I'm not sure that it's not going to happen to me when I go back to Uganda. And I am going back to Uganda. I'm not very sure if it will not happen to me or any other Ugandan. The torture you experienced didn't deter you from running for president against Museveni in 2021. The crackdown on your campaign was brutal. You were arrested twice. Your campaign headquarters was raided. All of those signatures that you'd assiduously collected had to be collected again. The money that was necessary in order to register to be on the ballot Mm -hmm. was stolen by military. Dozens and dozens of your campaign staff were abducted and detained. People who showed up at your rallies were subjected to horrifying brutality themselves. Watching it all unfold in the documentary gave a real sense of the chaotic nature of the repression. And yet you feel that perhaps there wasn't enough violence in the film. That's true. I must say I'm thankful that our film is seen by the world and I'm thankful that the world appreciates our pain. But honestly... What you see in the film is just a scratch on the surface. It is a brutal, violent regime. Moses, you were there filming profound moments. Yes. Intimate moments. Yes. You were in the hotel when he was surrounded by the military. Right. How many years were you filming? We followed Bobby for five years. And what was the most difficult Seemed to film. (laughs) (laughs) There was a few of those very tense moments, so many, but one very particular one. We spent days in house arrest after the election. Bobby, his wife, and myself. In fact, right from the day of the election, as soon as I cast my ballot, I was locked up. Yeah, in his house and thought that they will break into the house any moment, right? Because a lot of his election committees had yeah. been arrested. His election aides were kidnapped, actually. Yeah, around 60 of them are still in prison. Today, as we speak. Hmm. This is a current story. It's not over yet. In fact, before him and his wife traveled here... They were under house arrest for like a week or something. The day we received the news of the nomination of this film, we were under military detention. (laughs) We were under house arrest. Right now, as we speak, three of our colleagues are missing. They were abducted two weeks ago. They've not been seen. So it is constant. It is ongoing. There is a scene between Bobby and Barbie, and Barbie says, we're going to have to 
send the kids away. We will never be safe here until Museveni is gone, but I never. The children can't stay there. If the children got to stay, one of us would have to stay with them. That means you'd have to stay here. What does one do? Yeah, there were those difficult moments, you know, hard decisions. Did they ever tell you to get lost? No. <laughs> Not actually. So how did we get access? I mean, in the beginning, we were focusing on the political journey of Bobby Wine. But then increasingly, we saw the danger. We saw how the camera had become a protective tool around him and his family. So more and more, the access grew. And actually, my absence was noticed but my presence was never noticed. When I wasn't mm-hmm. around, I would pick up the phone, Moses, where are you? What happened? Are you alive? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Moses, what's been the response to the documentary in Uganda? Has anybody seen it? Just recently, NUP, the political party that Bobby leads, they did this big screening and invited so many Ugandans and supporters to see the film. But also National Geographic has made the film accessible on their YouTube platform for free in the whole of Africa. Mm -hmm. So Ugandans have been seeing the film on their phones. We also have something we call Chibanda and their video halls that hold about 400 people. And some Ugandans have screened the film that way. And the government is just sort of looking the other way? They don't know most of this is happening. (laughs) It's done secretly. Actually, the day that we screened it, that's when three of our colleagues were abducted. It's dangerous to screen it, but the people still watch it. Ugandans are stubborn, they're young, and they are out to defy the regime. Yeah. Do you, Moses, have any plans to return to Uganda? As we speak today, I cannot live in Uganda. I had been identified while I was following Bobby. There were two attempted kidnaps on my wife. I had been locked up in prison, interrogated. We couldn't live in the country anymore. We had to flee to the U.S. and we're here seeking political asylum. If leaders like Bobby Wine and what he represents come into power, I hope to return to my country one day. Are you hoping that the Oscar nomination raises the profile of the struggle for democracy in Uganda. The military and police that had cordoned off Bobby's house withdrew because of the news of the nomination. Now, as we speak, the current regime run by Museveni, they're backtracking on a lot of the repression that they had done. So we hope that all democracy-loving people of the world will see this film, share it, and keep their attention on Uganda. Don't ignore the Ugandan struggle. Please do not ignore us. Is there anything that you could possibly do in a future political campaign to try and limit the violence that your supporters suffered at the hands of the military? Yes, to appeal to the international community to stop sponsoring that brutality. There's a telling moment in the film when a reporter asks what you expect from the West. I will not say what I expect, I'll say what I request. The United States gives way beyond $100 million, you know, to Uganda. The European Union supports Uganda a great deal. Question is, do they know what they are supporting? The people of Uganda, while they appreciate their assistance, would want the European Union and America and all development partners to make 
respect for democratic principles and human rights a precondition for all that aid. Has anyone reached out from the U.S. State Department or the EU? Not as yet. I've spoken and met the EU delegation at my house, at my office and all that. Not the U.S.? I've met the U.S. ambassador and I've had a few meetings at the State Department, but apart from acknowledging that indeed there's a a flaw in democratic governance in Uganda that should be fixed, uh, we've not had more than that. I am, however, hopeful that one day the U.S. will decide not to be associated with any oppressive or dictatorial regime. There's another part of the film that really got to me. A reporter asked you... What would stop you from becoming like the president is now? What would stop you from becoming someone who just kept hold of power and became the same as the man that you would replace? Well, that's a fear. Why? Because many of the things I'm saying today, our president said when he was my age. The only way we can be sure, not me, but we can be sure that nobody will hold on to power is by not making it about an individual. No, it's to make sure that even during our liberation efforts, we do it together to ensure that no single human being will ever rise to claim that he or she liberated us. We want to liberate ourselves as a nation and guarantee that we can do that again and again and again if anybody ever turned into another Museveni. But as you say, for that, you need institutions, you need the rule of law, you need courts, you need fair elections, you need a robust media. Do you have any of that? We don't have any of that now. What we have in Uganda is absolute state capture. When we finally free Uganda, we want to free institutions and empower them to be independent of the executive. Getting it is hard. Keeping it, as we're learning, Mm-hmm. here in the U.S. It's even harder. <laughs> yeah. Our situation is not only a lesson to Uganda. It's a lesson to everywhere. Those that are aspiring for democracy and those that have democracy to know that democracy is always fragile and must be guarded jealously and is always one step of sliding out of your hands. So for people that have democracy just like you, the U.S., guard it jealously. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Bobby Wine and Moses Boyo. Their documentary is Bobby Wine, the People's President. That's it for this week's show. On the Media is produced by Eloise Blondio, Molly Rosen, Rebecca Clark Callender, and Candace Wong with help from Sean Merchant. Our technical director is Jennifer Munson. Our engineers this week were Andrew Nerviano and Brendan Dalton. Katya Rogers is our executive producer. On the Media is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Michael Langer. NYC Now delivers the most up-to-date local news from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday, and evening. With three updates a day, listeners get breaking news, top headlines, and in-depth coverage from across New York City. By sponsoring programming like NYC Now, you'll reach our community of dedicated listeners with premium messaging and an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to get in touch and find out more.